Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you that people didn't get seriously hurt in the storm, even though a lot of property damage has happened. We ask you to bless those that are having to deal with that. Give them an easy time and give us a blessed time as we read your word and look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 19. We finished the story of Micah and his, his priest and his idols that became the idols for Dan. And now we're going to go into the last three chapters are all one long story about the sin of Israel and the close to destruction of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him unto her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having a servant with him and a couple of donkeys. And she brought him in into her father's house. And when her father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him, and he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodge there. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning, that he arose to depart, that the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Comfort your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go on your way. And they sat down and did eat and drink, both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray you, and tarry all night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man arose to depart, his father-in-law urged him, therefore, that he lodged there again. And he rose early on the morning of the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, Comfort your heart, I pray you. And they tarried until afternoon, and they did eat both of them. And when the man arose to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, the father-in-law of the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draws near the evening. I pray you, tarry all night. And behold, the day grows to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you up early on your way that you may go. Uh, we're going to stop there because then he's going to decide not to stay any longer. So um, we look at this section here, and we start out with, in those days there was no king in Israel. This is the theme that we've been following for the last two major stories, that there was no king in Israel during the time of the judges. And this is laying the groundwork for going into 1 Samuel, which will be the, who will be the last judge of Israel. And they're trying to make the point of people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, even though when we look at the kings, when we look at Chronicles and kings and everything, we find out that they didn't do much better when the kings were ruling. Uh, the kings did not do a very good job keeping them following God for the most part. There were a handful of good kings, but you know this was the part of this story, trying to excuse their behavior. And this is what I see humans doing all the time, trying to excuse their behavior. Whether it's a government, a people, a nation, individuals, we end up trying to excuse, well, I did this because, and we try to give what at least what we think is a reasonable uh, reason for our misbehavior. And this is what's going on here. They're trying to say people are misbehaving. And the reason, there was no king. And uh, we're going to find out later on that that didn't matter. Whether they had a king or no king, it didn't matter. And then it says, lays the foundation that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim, and he took to him a concubine out of, the, out of Bethlehem, Judah. And Bethlehem, Judah is Bethlehem just outside of Jerusalem. And 
So here we have another story of a Levite. And as we read this story, we're going to find out that this Levite isn't much better than Micah in many, in many ways. Uh, he's not quite as, he's not, he's not trying to worship idols, but he is, you know, he's not a very righteous man as we look at his story. All right, but he takes a concubine, and a concubine, by definition of their days, had not as many rights as a wife, but more rights than a girlfriend. <laughs> okay, um, so they did not have a claim on the estate of the individual. They did not have a claim on anything, but the man who took the concubine had to make sure they were fed and, and clothed and and everything. So in many ways, she was a wife as far as that part goes, but she had no claim on, on his inheritance. Um, but they weren't married. But they weren't. Theoretically, they weren't married. They had the right to, to engage in sex, but they weren't married. And this is not God's way of doing things. It's just what was, okay? Uh, you gotta, many times in the scriptures, it tells, it, it was basically a mistress, but it was slightly more than a mistress because there was there were contractual agreements to this individual okay with a mistress or a paramour you could just abandon them with no with no uh, ramifications you could not just abandon your concubine uh, with no ramifications if you decided you didn't like her anymore you had to basically go through a divorce proceeding with her even though you weren't married okay so this is what I'm saying a concubine has more rights than just a girlfriend or a mistress, but less rights than the wife. All right? And I know that's hard for us to comprehend, you know, because we don't, she's kind of second, she's a second class, you know, better in a second class, I guess, but not the first. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that completely. She, she had some rights, but not the rights, full rights of a wife to the family. Yeah, well, Man will do what they want to do to make things seem to be okay, and this is what they did uh, in that area and all through the through that area. Uh, you'd have your wife, and then you could have more than one wife if you wanted. But then you could have your better than mistress, I guess. I don't I don't know how to say that. You know, it's, she wasn't really just a mistress. You know, she was more than that, but uh, kind of almost a partner. So. He picks up this woman, and it says in verse 2, The concubine played the whore against him and went from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there for four months. Many people believe that she didn't necessarily be a harlot or a prostitute in this or, or commit adultery. Many people believe that uh, on the things is, was that he mistreated her so bad that she ran away. Okay, and there's some indication as you read this that this is true of him. He, he sounds very much like an abusive husband or a boyfriend in the, as you read through this. And his concubine played the harlot against him. Oh, okay. Whore. Whore, yeah. That's what they're trying to say. I think that it was probably both. He, he probably misleading this. I think he mistreated her so bad that she did leave and probably did commit adultery and then ran to her father. But even her father, it does, there's one part about this that doesn't make any sense. If she had committed adultery, even if she had gone back to her father, she was still worthy of death. Okay, and him going after her 
doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So when I was reading that, it does make some sense that he was abusive and, and she ran off. But the word here clearly, even in the Hebrew, is that she was the whore. She, she, she left her, her uh, vows. Okay. Uh, but she goes to her, her dad's home for four months. And uh, after that, her husband decided to go after her. And, and then this statement in here, to speak friendly unto her. Okay, this kind of makes, this is why I kind of believe when they say that she was being, that he was being abusive to her, it is the classic battered woman syndrome where the guy comes in, you know, sweet talks her, gets her to come back. Uh, but he would also have had to sweet talk her to get her to come back if she actually had committed adultery because she's worthy of death and he is a Levite. Okay, so either way it fits, and I'm not going to make any judgment on this, he was trying to sweet talk her into coming back home for whatever whatever reason he had on it, whether he truly loved her or he was, you know, and she played the harlot or if he was beating her and he didn't want that reputation to, to get out. Because even in a day when women had no rights, to be beat was not, you know, to be known as a woman beater was still not a good, good thing, even though they did not have rights and, and people didn't respect them. It was not a reputation builder to be known as somebody who, who hurt women. Okay, um, so he goes out and he finds it and he says, he went out to bring her back. He had a servant and two donkeys. And when he found her, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the father saw the dam of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. I read this and I'm wondering, did the father never meet this man before? Because it sounds like this, either that or he, or he really liked the man, one or the other. Uh, he's not doing that off. I mean, you, but that is a true statement. Yeah. To have even one donkey to ride on was a pretty significant thing back then. To have two, this guy's a Levite. I don't know what he was doing to make all of his money. Uh, you know, he's got a concubine. He's got a house up on Mount Ephraim. Uh, he's got two donkeys and a servant. A servant wasn't too abnormal, but to have the two donkeys would be a very true statement. He had he had some wealth, or at least he had invested in his wealth, or he was a Levite, yeah. he, the, the Levite, or somebody had just blessed him and saying, you know, God, God wanted me to give you this, because that happens as well for, for men of God. Sometimes people will just say, well, God has told me to give you, you know, this gift. So it is possible that he didn't have a lot of money, but had been gifted. We don't know, but it, it, the straight indication is two donkeys shows wealth. Okay, that or he borrowed two donkeys from people, one or, one or the other. All right, so he meets his, his father-in-law, and they have this great big exciting time. He's happy to meet him. Might be that he's going to try to plead the case for his daughter not to, not to execute her for, for playing the harlot or trying to make sure that he's going to take her for the right reasons and, and take care of his daughter. You know, who knows why, but he's happy to see him. All right? Or at least showing happiness. And the father-in-law of the dams retained him or, or helped him stay there, and he abode there for three days, so they did eat and drink and lodge there. In other words, as we read into this, they're having a kind of a party, three-day party, eating, drinking, and enjoying, enjoying this visit from his son-in-law. And then it says, on the fourth day, Verse 5, when they arose in early in the morning, that he rose to depart, and the damsel's father said unto him, Comfort your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward you can go down, go on your way. So he basically, you all sit down for breakfast. 
Okay, you can't, you can't leave without breakfast. Come and sit down. We're going to have breakfast together. And they sat down in verse 6, and they did eat and drink, both of them together, for the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray you, and tarry here all night, and let your heart be merry. And when he arose to depart, the father-in-law urged him, and, said, and he lodged there. So they had their breakfast last all day long. Okay, another, another party. And you can almost picture, it doesn't say what they were drinking, but I'm sure that this was alcohol. This was not water in, the, in, this, uh, in this day of these four days of feasting. Okay, uh, because it probably, you know, they started early in the morning and they just partied all day long. Uh, whatever that meant to them, they're feasting, having a good time, getting to the end and saying, hey, well, it's too late for you to leave now. It's, you, can't, you can't get very far from, from, our town, from the house. Just stay here. Now, I wonder as I read this, was the father-in-law trying to get him to stay, maybe get him to leave the daughter or, you know, make sure that he understood his, the man's way? I don't understand. I, that part I don't understand. It doesn't tell us why, but you know, he's not anxious to see this man leave, not anxious to see his daughter leave. Uh, and it might very well be because this, remember, this is a Levite. He's going to supposedly follow the law. And the law, if she has committed adultery, is that she's going to die. And so maybe the father is being very protective of his daughter and saying, you know, hey, I don't want you to go. Let's talk about this. She's, she's really a good girl. Don't, you know, don't, don't do anything rash. What are you planning to do when you get back home? You know, he's probably plying him with these kind of, kind of questions, trying to find out what is going to happen, uh, because this is a big deal. For any father, this would be a big deal. My daughter is going away, and they're going to go a long ways because they're in Bethlehem, Judah, and they're going to be going to Ephraim, which is a good two-day trip away. And in, those day, in that day, two days was, might as well have been, you know, 100, you know, 100 miles or something, you know, because, you know, even in our day, if somebody in the other town and you're only an hour or two away, you might talk to them on the phone, but you don't necessarily see them every day. And so this is going to be a big deal. His daughter leaves. When's he going to see her again? What's this guy going to do to her for having abandoned him and ran away? And will she ever come back? Will, will he let her live? You know, so there's all kinds of questions probably in this father's mind as he's doing this. All right. And then he said, uh, and when he rose up, he said to sit. And then he said on verse 8, and when he rose early in the morning of the fifth day to depart, the damsel's father said, comfort your heart, I pray you, and tarry until afternoon. And they did eat it, both of them. So again, here we go. Day number five. Hey, sit around and have some party. <laughs> Let's party for a while. Um, and uh, verse 9, and when the man arose to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draws toward evening, I pray you tarry here all night. Behold, the day comes to an end. Lodge here with, you, with your heart, be merry, and tomorrow get up early and you shall be on your way. Sounds a little familiar. He did it just that morning. Uh, and in this time, we, we continue into verse 10. But the man would not tarry that night, and he rose up and departed and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem, and there with him were his two donkeys saddled, his concubine who was also with him. And when they were come by Jebus, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray you, let us turn to the city of, Je of the Jebusites and lodge in it. And his master said unto them, We will not turn hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah, 
And he said unto his servant, Come, and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them when they were, in, were by Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside thither to, to go in to lodge in Gibeah. And when they went in, he sat him on down in the street of the city. And there was no man that took them into his house to lodge. All right, so they finally get out. It's late. Okay, and we in our day and age don't really think too much about traveling at night. Okay, because we're in cars, we have lights, we have no problem. But in those days, you did not travel after the sun went down. It wasn't so much that, it was a good way to get robbed. Even if you had lanterns and everything, the uh, thieves knew the area a lot better than you did, and you were in danger of being murdered and murdered as you walked by, uh, at the very least, have everything taken from you. So they're leaving late in the day from, from Bethlehem, Judah, and starting a trip that they cannot complete because he just wants to get away from his father-in-law and all these, all these parties. Maybe he's, maybe he's been drunk long enough. He decided, I don't need to be drunk any longer. I don't. Who knows what his reasoning is? But he's finally on his way. And the first city they come to is Jebus, which at that time did not belong to Israel. Okay, it's not going to be belong to Israel until David and his men conquer it in another however many, 60, 80, 80 years from now, from this point in the story. So they come to this strange city and, the, and, his, and his servant is saying, hey, you know, basically it's getting dark, let's at least go into this city. And his answer is, we won't go into a strange city. I'm going to go into a city of Israel. And we're going to find out that that was a very bad decision on his part to, to not go into the city of Jebus. Uh, but he says, hey, this belongs to strangers. These, these, aren't, these aren't Israelites. These aren't, these aren't our people. We're not going to go into this town. And so they move on, keep continuing up the road to Gilbeth. They're going further into ben, the tribe of Benjamin's territory. And it says, verse 15, and they turned us thither to go in and lodge in Gilbeth. And when they went in, they sat down in the street, for there was no man that took him into his house for lodging. This statement is something that is kind of very important for us to understand. There was no man to take them into their house is important because in that area, when you went into some strange place, you were, the hospitality required somebody to take you in. So when we're seeing this statement, it is telling us that this town is not even following the social norms of the area. Uh, and even to this day in the Middle East, if you go into the camp at at the, at the close of the day of an enemy, they will treat you as a friend overnight and feed you and lodge you and then get you on your road, get you on your way, and they will protect you while you're, lay, you know, while you're with them. So this statement here in verse 15 that no man took them in is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in this town. Verse 16, and behold, and behold, there came an old man from, from his work out in the field at evening, which was also from Mount Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gibeah, but the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw the wayfarer man in the street of the city. And this old man said, where do you come from and where do you go? 
And he said, we are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, unto the, the side of the Mount Ephraim. Among there am I, and I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man to receive us. Yet there is both straw and provender for our donkeys, and there is bread and wine also for me and for my handmaid, and for the young man which is, which is with my, your servant. But there is, no, for there is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be unto you, Whosoever, howsoever, let this all your wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the streets. So he brought him into his house and gave him provender for his donkeys, and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. All right. Yeah, like he's going to eat and drink. He's, there's a lot of feasting going on in, the, in this. So, uh, but this man comes in off, out of the fields. He's been working on the fields, whatever his fields are hunting, whatever reason it was, he came back in, and he sees this man sitting down, getting ready to, to camp out at the street overnight and asks him where he's from and all that. And you know, we see the Levi giving him a long, long thing. You know, hey, nobody, nobody brought us in. We got plenty of food. We don't need anything. We just need some place to get, you know, get inside and, and sleep for the night. And you know, we'll, he says, we will take care of ourselves. All we need is a place to stay. And this man does what he's supposed to as a good host. Come on in. I will, I will feed your donkeys. I will give you food. I will take care of you. Uh, and as we're going to see later on in this story, this is very reminiscent of the story of, of the angels coming to Sodom when Lot comes in and he sees them. And he says, they say, no, we'll just sleep out here in their case. And he goes, no, you can't sleep out here. You don't understand this town. We're going to, understand that we're going to find out that this town is just as bad as Sodom was. Okay, and, he's, and this man knows you cannot sleep in the, out in the streets. You're, you're, you're going to have nothing but trouble if you sleep out in the streets. He hasn't been quite that blunt, but he compels them basically, come to my house. Come to my house to sleep in, for the night and get, it, get, into, get into a protected area. And he does everything he's supposed to do. He says, I'm gonna feed your, I'm gonna, I'll feed your donkeys, I'll, I'll give you a place to stay, and I'll give you dinner, and you're gonna be my guest for the night. And uh, we're going to see that the story continues. Verse 22. Now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spoke to the master of the house, the, the old man, saying, Bring forth the men that came unto your house, that we may know them. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said, No, my brethren. No, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into my house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and, her and his concubine. Them I will bring out to you now, and humble you them, and do to them what seems good unto you. But unto this man do no such vile thing. But the men would not hearken unto him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out unto them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman into the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where the, her Lord was till it was light. All right. Verse 22. It starts out with, while they were making their hearts merry. At the very indication that there was probably alcohol again at this, at this party. This, this Levite is not a very uh, temperate, temperate person. He seems to be enjoying the alcohol quite a bit he and, and apparently likes to have parties because <laughs> uh, he's now had six days worth of partying and alcohol. 
And it says, while they were there, behold, men of the city, certain sons of Belial. And when you read the word Belial, that is evil people, evil children, devil, men of the devil basically is what it means. Uh, we see this when uh, Jezebel arranged for Ahab to get his, get his town, uh, get the uh, field that he wanted. So they've put up certain men of Belial, of Belial to say false things against uh, the man that, that owned the field, the neighbor that owned the field. And they accused him of cursing God, and then he was taken and, and, and uh, stoned. So we see, when you see that word Belial, it is evil, evil men. men, men that follow the devil, literally, but evil. And so it says, these evil men beset the house and beat on the door. And this literally means to beat violently. They were looking to, to knock the door down with their beating. They, weren't just, they didn't just come up and, and knock on the door. They were coming to beat the door down. And it says they went about the house, round about the house. There, were some, there was a number of them. This wasn't just one or two men that came to this house to do this act. This was a large... I would almost say gang of guys coming in to, to do this. And they're beating on the door, and they told the old man to bring the men out that they may know him, which is a, a euphemism for have sexual relationships with them. So we are looking at a homosexual activity getting ready to go on here, very much reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah when, when Lot brought the angels in, and they said, send those men out that we may know them. And in this case, the angel, in Sodom and Gomorrah's case, the angels delivered Lot. In this case, there's going to be a, a little different story uh, on how it happens. But uh, we see here this individual process where these guys are coming out, and it shows the evilness of Israel at this time. Okay? Not only have they come in and forgotten God, not only have they been worshiping idols that are not God, homosexuality is apparently becoming rampant in certain towns. And you know, this is something that God told them not to do. Do not follow after other gods. Do not, do not do all these sexual sins of the Canaanite people. And yet we find exactly that going on in Israel. And we see this whole process of what's going on. And, and this man is trying desperately to do his job and protect his, protect his people. And he's trying desperately to protect his family, the, you know, this, this group of people that he brought in to uh, be under his protection. So he's, he's protecting them. And here's an offer. I've never understood it. I didn't understand it when I, when I read it in Sodom and Gomorrah when, he, when, when Lot offers his daughters. But he says, here's my daughter. She's a maiden, a virgin, and his concubine. I will bring them out, and you can humble them and do with them as you will what seems good. But the men would not do, uh, but don't do this vile thing. So in other words, he's going to these people that are looking to have uh, homosexual intercourse with these, the, men, the, the Levite and his servant and says, here, here's my daughter. Here's my daughter and, 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 his, and his concubine. Okay. Now, there's two problems I have with this whole statement as I look at it. Number one, you've got these guys that are wanting to have homosexual relationships and you're offering them women, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But just the idea of being willing to give up your daughter for this kind of thing doesn't make any sense to me. 
Lot, Lot offered the same thing. Now, it, it, didn't, it didn't happen in his case. Here we're going to see the concubine goes out, uh, is sent out. And, but, you know, it really does go to show the low value they put on women at that time, but, or maybe the ultra-high price of the, the guest. I don't know which of the two it was, but definitely low value of the woman. You know, uh, hey, just take her, do what you want with her. And that's literally what he says. Humble her, afflict, mistreat, mistreat her, humiliate her. He did, he, well, he, well, that was part of the rules on it, but I mean, it was how little they thought of women in that day and age. And the Levite didn't say anything about throwing his concubine out the door either. No, he didn't have any problem with it. As a matter of fact, he's going to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do with her which seems good to you, but don't do anything to these men. Don't do this vile thing to these men. And I've never understood the mentality, maybe it's because I'm a 20th century person who would never see offering a woman in, in, in the place of, of the man. You know, I wouldn't want to trade anybody for, you know, for somebody else. Uh, but again, it's the low value they placed on the women, his value of what he had to do for them. I mean, it was his job to protect these guys at all costs because they were now in his home. So he's responsible for protecting them and it seems like the only thing he can come up with is, here, have my daughter and his concubine. Him. Yes. Not them. Not, 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 the, not everybody in it, but, but the, the man. The, and it, but it is something that, uh, you know, he, he says, here, I'm going to give you these, deal ruthlessly with them. You know, it's, uh, you know, take, you know, and he understood that what was, what was going on. I mean, he understood that if they got hold of the Levite and his servant, that this was going to be just as bad a rape. It was just going to be a homosexual rape. And to him, in his mind anyway, the homosexual rape would have been much worse than the rape of the woman. Okay, now I don't understand that whole mentality. Again, we, we come from a totally different generation. Lot didn't have that same mentality. You know, doesn't have ours. He had the same idea here, you know, go ahead and take, take my daughters, you know, you can do what you want with them. And I think in their mind, part of it is that there's a naturalness to male-female that is not natural <laughs> in the homosexual act activity. Uh, and there's ramifications for, you know, for you, you take the woman and misuse her, then there's, especially in Israel, there's laws that said you're now going to take that person as your wife. Now, whether they're being followed without a king, I don't know, but there are laws functioning on that. Uh, the laws functioning on homosexuality was that they were going to be stoned. But obviously, this, that wasn't going to happen in this town. Uh, you got a whole gang of people, and this guy is aware of their, their lifestyle and how they behave. So he's not confident that they're going to stone the homosexuals. He's probably not even confident that they would enforce the rules for, for rape on the, on the women and and make them their, their bride, you know, but those are the rules according to, to the, the Levitical law. Uh, so, and uh, verse 22 says the, that the men would not hearken to him. So the, so the man, the Levite, took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day was, began to spring, they left her, let her go. So in other words, how do we say this in a gentle way? Uh, you really can't. They, they, they raped her and, and continued all night long. Uh, then this is abusive 
and cruel. And the thing that really gets me is that the, the guy just sent her out there. You know, maybe he really thought little of her. I mean, she left me. I'm just going to send her out there to save my skin. I don't, I don't know exactly what all, what all went through his mind on this. But he, but he put her out amongst these really evil men. And it's interesting that when day came, they stopped. And you know, this is actually something that happens most of the time. Evil really goes into high gear at night, in the darkness. And during the daylight, it usually stops. Usually, there are places where it's so bad it's 24-7. But you know, nothing really good ever happens in the middle of the night. Okay, we see that over and over in these things that many of us have told our kids. You know, nothing good is going to happen to you at two and three o'clock in the morning. Okay, uh, you know, you might even think about that when they're cast, you know, throwing the drunks out of the out of the bars at two o'clock in the morning. Nothing good is going to happen from that point on to that person. Evil runs rampant in the darkness. People think that he can get away with things in the dark then, oh, nobody's seeing me. I'm not going to get, there's no, not going to be any consequence to this action. Unfortunately, God sees in the dark as well as he does in the light. And there's consequences. Sin always has consequences. And these guys are ready to commit, they're ready to commit homosexuality, and then they commit rape. And we're going to find out that they basically committed murder because of how badly they treated this, this person. And uh, verse 27, uh, 26, then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. And literally this fell down means she fell down dead. Okay, she, she managed to get to the doorway and collapsed. She, she is expiring at the doorstep. And uh, which means that they were brutally abusive to her. They weren't, you know, they're, they're Activities weren't just abusive, it was excessively abusive to the point of uh, death being brought about. Verse 27, And the Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman his concubine was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us get going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon his donkey, and the man rose up and got him into his place. And when he was coming to his house, he took a knife and, and laid hold of his concubine and divided her together with her bones into 12 pieces and sent them into all the coast of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, there is no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider of it, take advice, and speak your minds. Now, this was not uncommon. To, when we get to the part about cutting up, it was not too uncommon. But if you look at this. He rose up in the morning, opened the doors, Tell her to get up. Went out, went to, and went out on his way and basically told her to get up. That's what I kind of picture. He just steps over the body, laying in there, said, get your butt up, it's time to leave. You know, it's, this man has no compassion whatsoever for this woman. Uh, you know, no compassion at all. And this is why many people believe that he might have just been abusive and she ran away from the abuse because we see this. He went to speak kindly to, you know, friendly to her, trying to seduce her back. You know, hey, you know, I really didn't mean it, sweetie. I didn't, you know, I just got angry. You know, you know how my days get, you know, try to draw her back. The father-in-law seems to understand this, but, it, you know, he can't stop too much. 
okay, because this is now her, her protector, her, her owner. You know, he's given up his rights as, 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 her, as her owner or her protector. So he can't push too hard. He can't say, no, you can't take my, my daughter because there was these, again, we go back to not quite as much as a wife, but more than just being a mistress or a girlfriend. If you'd just been a mistress or a girlfriend, then he, she could have gone back and dad said, no, you're not getting her. She doesn't, you know, you have no rights. Uh, but here he goes, well, he's got rights. And you can almost picture the conversation as well. Sweetie, I know that you're saying he's abusive. You've, you've left, but you know, I can't keep him from taking you if he wants to. Even knowing probably what he is. And we see this, you know, to save his own skin, he throws her out to the, to the wolves. And then when she's, you know, probably bloodied and bruised and battered, kind of just walks over her body and says, hey, get up, we got to get going. You know, so we see somebody who, no compassion. And this is the Levite. He's supposed to be a man of God. He's supposed to be a godly person. And we're not seeing any of that in his life. It doesn't, it doesn't specifically say that he wasn't, but everything about what he does says that's not the way a godly man yeah. operates. We'll get to, yeah, we'll get to that one. So, uh, so once he realizes that she's dead, he picks her up, puts her on the donkey, takes her back home, and he cuts her into 12 pieces. What ends up happening with this is they would cut a carcass of an animal up to make an agreement and, and to seal a deal or to make a point. Because along with this, you notice it wasn't just the pieces that he sends out. He sends a message of what has happened in this town of, in Benjamin. Okay, because remember, this is Israel. Homosexuality isn't, isn't supposed to be rampant in, home, in, in Israel, though we've seen other places and will see other places with it. So basically he's saying, we have a serious issue here. We have a town where homosexuality is running so rampant that, and, and that they abused this woman. You know, We sent my, my concubine out instead, and they mistreated her so badly that she passed away. But he did it. He then had her. Now, the ultimate process, I mean, we've got to be careful not to judge them from our standards. If he had not sent her out, they were going to break the doors down. Okay. And it, in their mindset, it's I give them these one or two people or all of us. Okay. Now, why that logic makes sense, I don't know. I can't, I can't make sense of that logic. But Lot did it. This guy's done it. We're going to see it in other places in the scripture where this mindset comes that it's better to sacrifice a couple of, you know, one or two people than a large number of people. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're not people. They're just a possession in their, in their mindset. So we see here, and he's sending out these pieces saying, we've got a problem. Here is the evidence of, that she was killed. You know, uh, you know, after he cut her up, she was definitely killed. But uh, here's the evidence, you know, probably the bruises and the battered the the, and the blood on, on her material. Uh, here's the evidence. And I don't know how big each part would have been when you cut a body into 12 parts. But the message went out. This is the town I went in. This is what happened. We have a problem. And this is what he said. Judge you this day what we're going to do. And remember, there's, this chapter started out with, there is no king in Israel. All right? If there had been a king in Israel, 
he would have just made his case to the king and said, hey, you know, this town did this and they brutalized, you know, they pounded on the door, they wanted to take, you know, take us in a, in, in a homosexual rape, but we, you know, they took my concubine instead and killed her. Okay, but there is no king. And apparently at this time there's no judge. Okay, because remember, God raises up judges who will judge Israel and then when their time is done, Sometimes their children would take over, but usually people would not have another centralized leader again. So we see here no central leader. So they're running free. They're basically running free, doing what they want to do, even though God's laws are supposed to be overarching on them. But this is the Levites' call to action. Hey, this is what's happened. Here are the violations that, that happened to the law. What are we going to do about the violations to the law. Okay, so he, at this point he's finally doing what a Levite should be doing. Okay, now he's caused some of the problems, he's been complicit in some of the problems, but he's coming back and saying, okay, here's what's going on. We have this homosexuality going on here, we've had a rape going on here, and a murder going on here, and apparently there's some indication that even though it doesn't say it, basically the city doesn't care. All right, and I don't know, there's no indication that he went and talked to any of the elders of the, of the city or it might have been communicated to him from the old, old man that this is why I wanted you in my house. I knew this was going to happen. And, and the Levites remembering back to Sodom and Gomorrah and the evilness of that city and the destruction because God has made a promise, remember already in Deuteronomy, he says, if you don't keep my words, these punishments come in and if you don't, basically punish each other for the wrong deeds, then I will judge the nation. So the Levite is coming out and he's declaring to the people, we need you to go forward. We need you to make a decision. Here is gross sin in the camp. What are we going to do about it? That's from chapter 20, then. <laughs> yes, and this is when 20 is the, is the discipline that comes along from all of this. And we're going to see this whole process come in where he's calling them to action, rightfully so. Because it says when these sins come in, they need to be crushed. Whether it be an entire town or an individual or a family, biblically, they are to kill the individuals, especially if they're not going to repent. But this sin is such that there's no repentance from it. It is an automatic death sentence for this. Um, so the Levite is calling them to do what they're supposed to do. Okay, hey, you know, haven't, I haven't really been following God all this time. Uh, I've, you know, I, I'm enjoying my drinking and my party and my carousing and I'm the one that put her out there, but there's a death. And now we've got to go forward and do what we need to be doing to defend this individual. And uh, so in, in one sense, he's doing his job as a Levite. Now they should have gone to a priest to make this call because the priests are the ones that or to act as the Supreme Court, okay? Uh, the, any dispute way back when, when, uh, yeah, when Moses was running, he nominated people, but the, the priests were the ones that, that were the, made the decisions. In Jesus' day, they were the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the, and the, and the Levites were, were the ultimate Supreme Court. And so the Levite is, technically within his rights to call for judgment, <laughs> but he's not the priest. And this should have gone to the, the judicial system that they had 
and he's bypassing that part of it. He's going straight to, this is what God says, what are we going to do about it? And that does explain when we get to chapter 20, and then the man's way of recovering from chapter 20, 21 from the mistakes they're going to make in chapter 20. Uh, but he said, you know, he cut this body up, and it was just a way to present. Okay, look how bad this was. Now, how did they know that she actually had been beat up and killed, you know, in that town, and rather than he just got mad at it and cut her up, I don't know. It doesn't, uh, doesn't say, but we'll see. There's not, this isn't the only time where something is cut up and sent out to all of Israel to, to make a call. It was a way of doing a covenant, uh, and the word in Hebrew for covenant is a cutting, and in Genesis, when God made his promise with Abraham, he told Abraham to take the offerings, cut them in half, lay them side by side, and it said that God walked through the center of the uh, offerings, which was basically saying, I accept this covenant. If it had been two men, they both would have walked through the, between the offerings and said, because of these offerings and this shed blood, our covenant is binding. Uh, Abraham's life, I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> well, Abraham is in uh, from chapters uh, 12 through chapter 18 or 19, so it's one of those, one of those chapters. Uh, but that was the history of, of a covenant. Uh, if you wanted to make a covenant, you would take the animal, you would kill, slay the animal, and each of you provided an animal, you'd cut it in half, and you'd walk between the cuts, uh, and that would establish your covenant. So I believe that's part of what they're saying here when he cuts up the body, saying, hey, we need to do something. Here, here, is, here is the sacrifice that was made by these people uh, with, their, with their sin. And so he's sending it out to them and saying, okay, Israel, what are we going to do about this? We can't let this, we can't let this murder stand. We can't let this city of homosexuals infest our, infest our uh, country. So it's a pretty big deal as far as he's concerned at this point. He's, I don't know whether he's showing some sympathy or he wants revenge that they wanted to take him or, or what it was. But, uh, and he might actually have finally gotten sober at this point enough to realize there's been some violations to God's law here. He says it revenge. Yeah, but again, that's speculation. I'm pretty sure revenge has a part on, on this. Um, but as, as well as revenge, there's probably a responsibility. I'm a Levite, and this is a lifestyle that should not be in Israel. Uh, so it could be a mixture of both. It could be strictly revenge. I'm not, I'm not going to try to put motive on his case when the Bible doesn't tell me what his motive is. I can tell you revenge is the natural answer. Cleansing the uh, countries of, of the sin would be his spiritual responsibility as a, as a Levite and a, and a spiritual leader to say, because he understood, God says, if you don't, if you don't get rid of it, I'll get rid of it, but I'm not going to be just that one, that one. No, the one, where they were at was a Benjamite city. And as we get further into this, we're going to see very clearly they were Benjamites. This were, they were not in a Gentile town. These weren't Gentiles that came against them. And we're going to see that uh, the, the Benjamites are going to defend their people. 
Of course, they have 11 tribes going against that, this one town, so Benjamin is going to defend, defend them and, and just about be wiped out as a tribe. So that's what the whole next chapter is all about. And then the last chapter is how the Benjamites get brides again so that they don't get wiped out. With Benjamites, as we will learn in the next chapter, it's not, it's not Gentiles that are doing this. It's going to be, we're going to find out that it's Benjamites that are doing this. And then he goes further north to get to Ephraim, to where he lives. And then he sends the pieces out and says, this is a bad thing has happened in Israel. What are we going to do about it? They didn't stop at Jebusite town. That was a Gentile town, right? Right. The Jebusites at this time, the, later when David conquers it, it's going to be called Jerusalem. But right now, it's Jebus, which it belongs to the Jebusites. Okay? But it is later on when David conquers it, it's going to be Jerusalem, and he's going to make it his capital city, which is a very smart move on his part because it, it sits on the border of Judah and Benjamin. So it, it satisfies both of them. It's not like going into Bethlehem in, you know, or further into Judah and say, this is where we're going to set up my, my, my headquarters in the middle of my, my tribe. He sets it right up on the, the border of two, two tribes. So it's a very good political move. Uh, so yes, they, he avoids a Gentile city, goes to an Israelite city because he thinks it's going to be safer, has all these bad things happen to him in an Israelite city and calls to Israel to say, what are we going to do about this? And that's what we're going to find out in chapter 20, what, what they're going to do about it. And it uh, wasn't very nice what they did about it. Yeah, so, can remember what we said. A Levite is a descendant of Levi, okay, the tribe of Levi. All the priests are Levites. But not all Levites are priests, because to be a priest, you have to be of the, tri of the family of Aaron. Okay? If you're not of the a family of Aaron, then you cannot be a priest. We yes, we went over this before. That's fine. I don't, I, we, we, I've gone over it so many times over my, over my lifetime. So the Levites tend the tabernacle, and they help with the sacrifices, and and all of that, they do not go into the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place or the Holy of Holies, but they do all the outside work. They're, they're God's people, they're God's servants, they're God's workers, but they are not priests. But they don't, they don't get their own because... Because they're the Levites. God took the entire tribe of Levi rather than the firstborn of every tribe. Okay, God said... God said way back in, in Deuteronomy that I will take, instead of taking the firstborn of every family, I will take the entire tribe of Levi to be mine. Okay, if he hadn't done that, then everybody's firstborn would have had to have gone to the temple, uh, the tabernacle, to serve in the tabernacle. And God says, no, I don't want that. I'll just take the whole tribe. And there was a whole sacrifice involved in that and, and money because there wasn't quite enough Levites to cover the firstborn of all the children. So there was an offering taken up and money was taken up to, to redeem those who, who had not been there. Uh, but even, to, even after that, the firstborn had to be redeemed in each family. And whether it was he, a person or an animal, the price had to be paid for the firstborn that went to the tabernacle. Because God said, it's, firstborns in the future are all mine too, but I'll, I'll keep the Levites as my, as my people, but you must pay for the firstborn. And if it was an animal that had a firstborn and you, and you didn't want to pay for it, 
you broke the neck of the animal and killed it, of the firstborn. Uh, so that was all the process of, of this uh, as far as being a Levite. The so Levites were the servants of God, but not priests. Okay, but they were still respected. I mean, you're you're the servant of God. You work for you know you work for God. You help with the sacrifice. You you know. Uh, at this time, they're not moving around, but during the time that they were moving around, they they broke down the tabernacle, they packed it up into the, you know, packed it up in the carts and carry and or carried the materials, and then when it got to where they were going, they put it all back up again. So that was their job, uh, which is why when when Korah, who was a Levite, rebelled against Aaron and Moses, Moses's answer was, you know, you're not satisfied with what you have, you want to be a priest as well, okay. Uh, and that's when God opened up the ground, swallowed Korah and his family, and closed the ground up. Uh, so all these different things that we have that are all tied together. The Levite has a lot of respect. He is a Levite. He's a, supposed to be a man of God. Don't see much of a man of God before this point in time when he finally calls them. But he is supposedly a man of God, a worker for God, and cares about the people. And so he makes this call. And again, whether it's because of revenge, he's, he's just really upset at the town because they threatened him, or realizing that if, if they don't take care of it, that God has made a promise that the rest of the nation will pay for the crime of these people. Either way, you know, he's doing finally starting to do something that he's supposed to do. Because even if it is by revenge, that's his job. He's the, the man of the house and the person in his family has been killed it's his job to bring, bring retribution upon those that killed, killed her, okay? But one man against a town is not gonna happen, so he calls forth Israel to say, this is something that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Apparently, well, he had a concubine. I'm wondering if he had a wife, but, uh, but at this point, he's, you know, whether it's pure revenge for him, pure revenge on somebody as the, as the, uh, Defender of the, the family, defa uh, defender of the family against the the killer, because that was what remember the cities of refuge were about. If you accidentally killed somebody, if you could make it to the city of refuge before the the slay the, the the family slayer caught up with you, you could at least have a, a hearing, and then if you were had been proved that you did it by accident, you had to live in that city of refuge until the high priest died. So. This is him at this point. He's, you know, he's, he's either full revenge mode because of what they challenged him. He, you know, they, they took my family's life. It's time for me to go kill those who, who killed my, my family. Or just literally following the law of God, saying we've got to, we've got to deal with the sin of, of Israel before God deals with it. So three different options. One, and being that he's a human, maybe all three at one time. Okay, it doesn't have to be just the one or the other. It could be all three of those at the same time that he's, that he's doing. But it is going to end up with a pretty severe event that's going to happen in, in chapter 20. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to learn to obey you in, in all things. And Lord, give us the opportunity to really share you with others. Lord, and not do what's right in our own eyes, as, as Israel was doing at this time. And it becomes so easy for men to do what's right in their own eyes. And we just thank you for your love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.